Thanks for listening to show 25 of the C-Suite podcast, part of a special series of episodes being recorded at the Cairn Lions International Festival of Creativity, which I'm uh, recording in association with ECO, the International Communications Consultancy Organisation. And uh, joining me to kick off today's interviews is actually a previous guest from way back on show eight of the series when he spoke on the topic of the social CEO. So it's welcome back to Colin Byrne, CEO of uh, Weber Shamwick for UK and Amir. Hi, Colin. Very nice to be here by the seaside with you. It, 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 I think I've had worse places to sit uh, and do interviews. It's not bad, is it? <laughs> um, now, yesterday I was chatting to your counterpart at H&K, uh, Richard Miller, about uh, um, sort of what the brief is for his team here. Um, so I'm going to ask you a, a similar question. You know, how many of your colleagues from Weber have, have you got uh, over at Cannes and, and what are you hoping for them to, to take away? I think we've got about 35 people here and certainly from Europe, my focus this year has been bringing more of our young creatives uh, than necessarily more senior people um, because I think it's a fantastic environment for young talent to meet other young talent and to uh, look at trends that are driving change and innovation in an, our industry. Does it, um, it does it create a bit of an issue when someone gets chosen to, to come out here in, in the office? Do you have to sort of like say, you know, don't don't chat about it too much or is it is it part of the uh, sort of... Um, yeah, trying to encourage them to, to get here? Well, we, we, we try very hard to be inclusive. So a lot of my offices around EMEA are actually following what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at the work as it comes online. They're having discussions. Uh, when we go back, we will have uh, a, a day of immersion in the best of can for uh, the teams from our top 50 clients from across the region. We really do cascade the learning. So Excellent. in some ways, our young creatives are kind of ambassadors from Webershamwick to Cannes, and they will go back and they will share their knowledge and next year there'll be a fresh batch of Great. young creators. Excellent. Um, now, uh, obviously, key part of Cannes is, is the awards. Any successes for, for Weber? Well, obviously, we're looking forward to tonight. Uh, we're one of the few PR agencies to be shortlisted in the PR awards tonight. Uh, we've already uh, won in some of the health categories, for example, for partnerships with sister advertising agencies. Uh, but I think tonight is what we've all been looking forward to. Brilliant. OK. Um, now, I know there's a topic uh, that you wanted to air some thoughts on, um, and that's on the challenges of the PR industry in terms of attracting young talent. And I guess that kind of links into this whole, all the awards and, and who's winning them and, and where, you know, where the creativity is, is coming from. Yeah, and as you know, I've never had a hang-up about the fact that advertising agencies win in our category. I think it's great that we have that competition. I think it's great we're up against some of the best creative minds in the world. Um, and I think it's great that PR agencies are winning in other categories as well and kind of got used to that. So it's not really a point about competition to win Lions. I think yeah. the bigger competition is for talent. Uh, traditionally, PR, and is, PR agencies' approach to talent has been to steal each other's staff. And when you look at what's going on at Cannes, when you look at the transformational work here, when you look at the transformational ideas here and the trends, um, you, we've got to be looking to recruit the sort of people who are currently going to work for um, social media platforms and the world's top advertising and digital agencies. We can't re relax on our laurels and just try and 
pick up even brighter PR people. That's um, the, that, well, that's and, and so the war for talent really is with the people who we're going to be up against in the PR section of the Can yeah. Lions tonight. That's interesting. You talk you talk about you know stealing people from other PR and, uh, agencies. That that links nicely into. Um, but I was I was at the World PR Forum in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, um, and I spoke to actually one of your colleagues from uh, Interpublic Group, um, Fred Cook, CEO of Golin. And, um, and and that was one of the things that he was talking about that the fact that we're always you know um, sort of obsessed with taking people from other PR agencies or in-house taking people from in-house. Yeah. He he it kind of led into his um, uh, presentation that he was talking about with the Golin's unturnship, which I thought was was great. He showed a fascinating uh, a video of that. Um, so I guess actually for, for anyone that wants to listen, that's show 22. So just go back a couple of shows and you and you can listen to Fred talking about that. But. Um, I guess that leads nicely into what you're doing about attracting, you know, how are you attracting this new talent? Yeah. Well, I'm actually a big fan of Golan's approach and a big fan of the way they've restructured their roles uh, away from the traditional, you know, litany of PR agency um, hierarchical roles. Uh, yeah, they're doing some really interesting work. What we're very focused on, and if I look at our fastest uh, growing areas of our work, is around what we call our engagement engine. And our engagement engine is built around four pillars. Creative, uh, where you know my lead creative in Amir actually came out of We Are Social, not another PR agency. Okay. Content, and my content heads tend to come out of ad agencies like Karma Armor. Um, social media uh, and strategy uh, and insights. Those are the four pillars of the engagement engine. Uh, and in virtually all of them, we are hiring people from other engagement-focused industries like advertising, like digital and social agencies by kind of talking their language and showing them that we do work that they would like to work on. Um, so, you know, for Fred's um, internship, you know, we've got Prime in Sweden, the world's most can lion winning PR agency. Uh, we've got the engagement engine. So it's about talking to the talent that currently works I in other sectors here at CAN yeah. in their own language. It's almost doing a PR job on PR. Well, okay, so on, on that point though, does that mean that we need to rebrand PR? Because you're talking about loads of different um, sort of parts of the mix. And, and it's more than just public relations now, what, what you're doing. So is that part of the issue in terms of trying to attract that, that talent? I, 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 I'm, I'm not really interested in the semantics discussion about are we PR, should we drop PR? I mean, there's a sign in the cabana here that says we love PR at ICO. And I love PR and I've been in the bloody industry for 30 odd years. So I would hope <laughs> I love it. But, you know, what we're in is in we're in the communications and engagement business. Uh, I think what we need to do to attract that talent is explain why PR is good at communications and engagement. Um, so it's not about rebranding, it's the way we tell our story right, okay. to prospective talent. Fair enough. Um, now, uh, obviously, lots going on here. What's the plans uh, for uh, Weber over the next uh, sort of 12 months? Are we going to see you back here in 2017 picking up? I, I know you, we, you may be winning some this evening, but what, what are we going to see you winning for next year? What's the sort of plans for the, for the group and the well, agency? Well, you know, if we look at the campaigns um, that are on the shortlist for tonight, uh, a particular favourite of mine is out of Sweden, done by Prime, the House of Clicks. It is a perfect case study of how to use big data 
to tell a story and to drive a client's business. Um, nothing to do with traditional PR at all, but big data belongs as much in PR agencies as it does in any of the other sectoral agencies here at CAM. Excellent. Well, best of luck with that one there this evening, Colin, and um, thanks for joining us again. And we're back after the break to talk brands as activists. Consumers are 10 times more likely to buy goods or services if addressed in their own language. Conversus enables international businesses to communicate their message across different languages and cultures. For translation and localization of your PR comms and website content, multilingual desktop publishing, and audio dubbing and subtitling of videos, visit conversus.com. So welcome back to this Can Lions special of the C-Suite podcast, and I'm now joined by uh, Sean Dallas-Kidd, who is partner for content and creative at Fleischmann Hillard in San Francisco, Michael Stobel, who leads the creative team of Fleischmann in Dallas, and they've both been chatting here in the Eco House of uh, PR with spoken word artist Prince E, who I am thrilled to say has joined us for a chat too. Um, so welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Excellent. Now, uh, you guys have just presented a session here entitled Brands as Activists Shaking Up the World. So for the benefit of our listeners who missed out. Sean, maybe you can just give us a quick recap of, uh, of what you were discussing. Well, one of the things we're talking about is uh, the, the fact that brands, in order to resonate with, with audiences, they have to be truly authentic. And, and one of the best ways that we're seeing uh, that happen is by finding like-minded content creators and artists to partner with. Um, the conversations, the trust that's going to be needed on the brand side with the artists in particular, um, that's one of the big topics that we were discussing just a couple of minutes ago. Sure. Yep. Okay, well that leads me uh, nicely on to, uh, to bring Prince into the, uh, the, the chat here. Hey. So t- t- tell us about sort of what it means to be a uh, you know, spoken word artist and the journey okay. you've taken okay. to getting 500 million odd views on YouTube and Facebook and working with guys like this and, and brands that you're doing now. Yeah, you know, I, I think what happened, um, the reason why, uh, you know, people call me a spoken word artist. I don't, you know, I mean, that's, it's an easy label. But for me to, to have the freedom to just create, um, I, I simply want to communicate messages to massive amounts of people that's that's it so whether that comes in the form of a song or a poem or a painting maybe you know I might get into painting I don't know but whatever I can use to reach people uh, I'm in I'm interested in it and so I just think that purity of the service is what um, got me a lot of attention sure. um, yeah every I mean like you said the number is kind of Kind of speak for themselves. Um, Oprah kissed me on my cheek the other day. Right oh, well, there you go. <laughs> doesn't get much better than it that. Doesn't get much better. <laughs> and I don't do it for kisses by Oprah. You know, I do it for purely to serve it's people. Funny, that's a goal of mine. That's a goal yeah. of yours. <laughs> <laughs> that's tremendous. Um, now, now your videos clearly aimed at uh, inspiring your audience. But mm. what I was keen to know is what what actually inspires you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What inspires me. People that embody uh, love inspire me. Um, we live in a world where everything is very material. Everything is resisting love. And people who can have the courage to, to become love and to speak that, I think, is beautiful. Uh, beings that, um, you know, I used to be very... Um, much of a fan of the rappers, the Jay-Z's and the M&M's. I mean, these guys had amazing punchlines. 
right? But then I started reading like the, the ancient texts and the scriptures and the, 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 the Buddhas and the Gitas and the Tao's. And I'm like, yo, these punchlines are even more intense than the Jay-Z's, you know? So wisdom inspires me, truth inspires me, love inspires me. Innovation, you know, people doing, like um, I said, people doing things that have never been done before. Yeah. I'm very interested in that, and I love seeing people do that. Um, you're now working with with Micah and, and, and Sean here on, uh, you know, at Fleischmann, and and what I was keen to know is how, how do you choose those brands and agencies that you, that you work with? Because yeah. you must you must be getting approached constantly. Yeah, you know, I think the the most important thing is is um, synchronicity and alignment you know if the if the message aligns then i'm willing to have a conversation um it's really as simple as that you know my my message my brand is one based on authenticity and integrity and so the the, the brand that i would be collaborating with it would make sense for them to have this the same foundation yeah okay well well that's good time to bring Micah in here. Let, let's um, sort of chat to you. What I was impressed with with, uh, with some of the work that you're doing, particularly with, with Chevrolet and, and Prince here, but um, can you tell us how that came about and how you go about choosing these, these collaborations as well? Yeah, so uh, we came up with, you know, a, a strategic platform, which is nothing terribly new uh, for anybody working for any brand. Uh, but I think what was different was the platform that, uh, you know, everyone agreed to was this idea of fuel your hustle. Uh, like this product is designed to fuel your hustle. But as they said it more and more, they were like, well, there's no way we can say this to consumers. Like that'll just get misconstrued and there's different ideas and like how can a brand tell people to hustle and so we needed to find a way to communicate that right and in order to do that uh, we wanted to partner with somebody like Prince E that knew what it was like to hustle not only himself to get some degree of success and then to watch that grow and grow but also to inspire others to follow their own path to be successful, to follow their passions, and to really focus on what matters the most to them. And so as we started working on this and we discovered Prince E online, it just seemed like, okay, this is this is done, you know? And we were doing our research and we kind of found some of your work early. Um, and so we kept going because we felt like, you know, due diligence for the clients, but we kept coming back. And I mean, it was just like, can we stop now because like this is just adding names to a list that shouldn't exist like we're done so um, the process of finding the right artist to collaborate with was actually pretty easy uh, we just had to show the client that uh, you know we, we had again done our due diligence when we started down that path um, Sean a, a lot of the work that you're doing now is with um, social influencers you know, compared with, I mean, some of the examples that I've, and you talked about um, in, in the session about working with like the likes of Kevin Spacey, Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel with uh, with, with Chevrolet, I think, on, on, on other campaigns. But how, how much of your work now is with social influencers like Prince e here? And, and also, um, you know, is there some examples uh, maybe that it can work from a B2B campaign? I, I think you showed, you know, again, you showed a really great example with, uh, with Trip and Tyler from YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, for our client, um, Avaya, the video I showed was the... Uh, business lingo and we worked with Tripp and Tyler who are two really great content creators on YouTube to tackle a B2B campaign about technology from a different angle and we thought that humor would be a great way to differentiate our messaging from someone else's and so 
I think a lot in a similar way that uh, Micah approached this. Uh, you know, it was a collaboration, co-creation uh, situation that we had. So we had a treatment that we developed. Um, we found uh, creators that fit with the brand and the brand's message. Um, so it was true to the brand and it was true to the artist. And then we worked with them and gave them the freedom to go and create. And uh, one of the things I touched on uh, in, in the conversation was that, and that takes trust, trust with your clients, trust with the artists that you work with. And uh, the results of that became a really powerful, funny, and engaging way to talk about some of the ways in which we communicate in the, some of the least effective uh, office jargon that, that people, and office jargon and buzzwords, uh, ways that we communicate. And that really helped bring our client to the forefront um, with a in a new way, and it got them to show up differently, which uh, is great. Just for the benefit of the listeners, I'll put a link out uh, when I write. I do a write-up of this podcast because the, the video was very funny. So, um, and, and plus also the stuff that Prince E has done as well. So I'll share that. Actually, on, on that topic of sort of trust and, and authenticity, what what I was keen to know is, do you know, do you get feedback from your audience, and how do they feel about you working with brands? I've done podcasts before, actually, with uh, some of the sort of YouTubers and social influencers in the UK. And, and some of the feedback that they've had is that you know they understand this is their their job, their role, they do it for a living. But as long as they are open and honest about who they're working with, then it. it's kind of accepted that mm. there is that relationship there. Yeah. What, yeah, what, what kind no, of feedback a, do you get? Yeah, there's a power in transparency and vulnerability with the audience to share with them exactly what's going on. You know, I'm lucky enough to have worked with different brands where it, the content is seamless. It's content that I would have done if a brand didn't get behind it. So I'm just lucky enough to have been involved. Uh, the feedback has been, I mean, very positive um, due to the fact that it's so seamless and effortless. Uh, I have a background in hip hop and anybody listening, I don't know if you have a big hip hop audience, but hip hop can be a very uh, purist uh, discipline. And so if you do a do a commercial or something with a brand, people are quick to say, oh, you're a sellout. Oh, you're a sellout. So I I see a few of those comments. Yeah, I see a few of them. But for the most part, I'd say 99%, it's, it's positive. And do you, do you try and get back to, you know, give, I mean, it must be impossible, obviously, to respond to every comment that you get, yeah. but do you, do you engage with your audience Absolutely. on a one-to-one? I think it's very important to engage, to show people that you care about them commenting, uh, because I wouldn't be here without the people. Um, so you, it's, I, yeah, you're right. It is exhaustive if I try to spend my time responding to every message. But I, I get to who and who I can. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, we were just chatting earlier about uh, the fact that uh, YouTube wasn't, wasn't even around, you know, a few years back, let's right. say. Um, how long has this opportunity got uh, for, for social influencers to work with brands? Do you, do you see it as um, sort of jump on the bandwagon quickly or, or is, is there something that, that, that's going to be around for a long time now? Well, it's interesting because I think the, um, I would say rather than social influencers, content creators and content creators that cut across multiple platforms, you know, um, as you look at all the different platforms and people influential in different ways, you know, uh, at the core of a lot of it is thought leadership. You know, I use the phrase, be useful, be entertaining, or you'll be ignored. Um, 
So I think as long as the content creators keep something or some equivalent of that in mind, then really as platforms come and go, their relevance should not wane very much. You know, um, it should be relatively easy. I mean, you can see it, I wouldn't say right now, but relatively recently as Snapchat, for instance, rolled out, you saw a lot of different content creators say, oh, hey, and I'm also on Snapchat. And so they would build their audience there. And so once you have sort of a critical mass, then I think it's, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's easy, uh, but there's, there's enough there that you could build and port that over. And the audience that loves what you're doing in one place is likely going to love what you're doing in another place. Sure, but there's a, uh, I mean, picking up on, on what you're saying there about Snapchat, I mean, that's, it's a different form of creativity, isn't it, though? This, um, you know, the, the uh, ephemeral marketing, I think I've got that right expression, you know, the I fact it's so. not, yeah, not yeah. going to be, you know, so it's a different type of storytelling, isn't it? it yeah, it's absolutely right. And I mean, I, I think it goes without saying, you know, I, again, if they stick to what they're doing, yes, they will maintain that audience, but all of us, in any form of marketing or content creation or anything like that, you've got to be willing to evolve. And something that I tell uh, my team is you've got to uh, always be learning. You know, there's that old, I think it was the Wall Street movie, always be closing. Like, we're not like that. We're always be learning. So the moment you stop putting new things in, you're gonna stop putting new things out. And so if you find yourself just sitting still, you'll just become stagnant and you'll find yourself out of a job. <laughs> Sean, you were nodding away there. So you got some comments on that. Well, yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this evolution in terms of how we communicate and work with entertainment is that the genie's not going to go back in the bottle. People, Simon Sinek had a really interesting TED talk. I'm sure a lot of people heard Power of Why. People don't buy what you make, they buy why you make it. So people give a damn now. And so that's the power of working with a content creator. They, they're not a role. They are themselves and they create content authentic to themselves. And now however that then levels up, whether it's through music or painting or interpretive dance, you know, whatever that might be, it's authentic to them. And so, and people want to buy into that authenticity because people care. When you look at some of the research numbers around millennials and like, why they want to work for a particular brand it's what does your what does that company stand for that is important yeah. not just the salary right mm -hmm. and so that is just the new reality and so it may evolve again but i don't think it's it's no more likely to go backwards than we are to stop flying and using you know go we're not going to go back to like horse and buggies <laughs> you know so they're nice and all, but it's just not going to happen. Excellent. All right, well, uh, I'll give the final word to Prince Lee here because uh, you are the uh, slightly more influential uh, of the panel here with a few more oh, followers than the three of us. Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so my, my question is, where, where do you see all this going? I mean, the, obviously, when you were growing up, you could never have dreamed of doing this as your career and your, and your role. So in, in 15, 20 years' time, we were just talking about you know, YouTube not being around before. What, what's going to be influencing the kids now in, in 15, 20 years' time? Wow, what a question. What a question. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> you know, it's... You know, the beauty of... Um, just the advent of technology, I, I love it. Things are, things are always changing and shifting. 
Um, but what I would like to see is more individualized um, approaches to technology and to uh, content creators. You know, I, I believe that all of this technology out there, it's easy to become a distraction. You know, is the technology that we're creating is it truly progressing us forward as a, as a species? So I, I hope that we ask these questions as creators, as app developers, and so we can really start to instill positive habits into people as opposed to addictive habits that make money off of people. So hopefully the, 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 um, the altruistic um, platforms spread and develop 10 or 15 years from now. We'll see. Fantastic. That's a beautiful way to finish. Nice message. Mm. Excellent. Um, Sean Dallas Kidd, Michael Stovall and Prince E, thanks very much for joining the show. Uh, we are back after the break with Vicky Chowney of H&K Strategies. Support for the C-Suite podcast comes from Broadcast Specialist Marketeers. Broadcast Specialist Marketeers. Market hires? Tears. Tears. Half of the world's most valuable brands. User Marketeers. Delivering stories and content on air, online and to mobile that capture attention. Marketeers. Switch on the power of broadcast. Very nice. I use Marketeers. You do? I love it. Welcome back to the Can Lions C-Suite podcast. Uh, uh, I've moved from Eco's House of PR to the uh, rather loud Haymarket Hive, where I'm now joined by H&K Strategies' Vicky Chowney for her second appearance on the uh, on the series. We've previously chatted about paid social in show 10, if anyone wants to uh, go back through the archive and have a listen to that, although uh, last time that was on the phone, so good to be chatting in person this time. And alongside Vicky is Ben Hackett of Brandwatch. Um, now, this section of the show follows on nicely, actually, from my last chat just now with the guys from Fleischmann and Prince E, as uh, Vicky's just been talking about how to actually understand and measure all the influence uh, through H&K's partnership with Brandwatch and their new tool, Sherlock. Vicky, tell us about Sherlock. So we're really excited today because it's a, it's a great opportunity to show off we're doing what we're doing together. Um, essentially, uh, when I first joined H&K, one of the biggest things that I was asked for help with was um, how do we use data to better understand the people that we're going to work with and make the decisions about you know, the right influencers. Um, so we decided to start looking at how we can combine what we do best, which is have an incredible amount of um, contacts and a network of people um, for the different sectors that we work across and across our core topics, um, and how we combine that with really excellent use of data. Um, and we decided to work with Brandwatch to do that because we have really shared values on what we both consider real influence to be. Um, so we're here today launching Sherlock Plus, which is a series of customized dashboards across all of our sectors that cover 45 core topics and allow us to look at the people who are the most important within those topics and then apply really great data-driven network analysis on top of that to expand to look at more of a community of influence rather than just an individual one. And then look at a whole load of interesting stuff like 
what content they share, how they talk to each other, what hashtags they use, um, and do that in real time. So we have a constantly updated view of who are the most important people. So picking up exactly on, on what you just said there about the, the most important people and the VIPs, you, you obviously need to start somewhere with a base. How, how do you actually choose those, those people in each of those sectors that you're going to start to you know, follow and see what they're talking about? So I, I still think that one of the best gauges for a good public relations firm is who they know. Um, and we're really lucky that we have so much deep sector experience at H&K. So we work with the teams to map out who are those top tier VIP influencers across any type of stakeholder. So from press through to bloggers to NGOs to academics, whoever it might be, um, we start with them and we and we do that with the team. Okay, um, I want to bring Ben in here um, because the, the visuals of, of the product are, are fantastic. We're actually sat in front of the screen here, so obviously this is on audio, but we'll uh, we'll share a, a picture of it and, I, and I'll share a link to, um, I think there's a video demo of how it works as well, so we'll share that when we do a write-up of the, of the podcast. But how does this all integrate all the work that H&K are doing how does that integrate with what you do in the background and the visuals that we that we see on screen here I think the thing about um, our work with H&K is it's taking our technology our product stack uh, combining it with the people that know the PR industry the best and have many years of experience doing it uh, and applying a methodology and using the platform in such a way for clients and internal stakeholders um, that really kind of tests what's possible with the platform and, and helps and makes us think about how should we measure influence? Um, so that's really special and it's also really nice to work with uh, an agency that has such a strong heritage of, of good influencers to begin with because what we do is take that really good initial starting point and build out a much richer and data-driven uh, view of, of influencers. Okay, can, can you share some examples of how it's being used by any of your existing clients at the moment? So, bearing in mind we are just launching it at the moment, but we originally modelled um, a kind of previous iteration of this with Visa. Um, and what they were interested in finding out is who the people who are making decisions within banks about whether to work with Visa or not. Um, how do they make those decisions and who are they kind of influenced by and what, what content do they like? And so we um, originally modelled it around that. So the whole, this whole idea of taking um, a list of the people that we know and then trying to map out that secondary tier around them because it might be that those VIPs aren't always the kind of key decision maker in, in, um, or the key role in uh, a discussion. Um, so we, we modelled it with them, we created a VIP list and then we looked at the community influence around them and started to find new voices that they might want to invite to an event or do some media, media with or have a meeting with and, and get them involved in the work that they do from a corporate perspective. Um, so that's a really nice example um, and I think a more, a more recent one um, within our CPG team is looking at okay a, a topic like uh, male grooming for instance who are the people who are actually informing that that uh, conversation um, it's a classic example of there will be bloggers and press who say that they write about male grooming but actually when you look at the conversation and the people who are having the most impact on that it's a completely different list um, clearly so I'm on that list there influence <laughs> on male grooming I, I guess well the, you know the shaving yeah there is there yeah. is um, now 
what's been the reaction though of, of clients you know since you've introduced this what what have they uh, sort of seen in terms of uh, them using the tool and, and what have, how have they responded to it so I think thankfully um, most of our clients are really excited about the idea of making those decisions informed by something else than like a finger in the air gauge or looking at the people with the most followers or using just your black book alone and going to people that you've worked with in the past which is really um, heartening for me um, because it means that people are are thinking about it in a a more in a smarter way but they're also willing to try things out and explore how you might use great data to to make things a bit more robust Um, so the reaction has been really positive um, in terms of uh, not only exploring what they might do with it, but also then looking at how they might create their own customized topic. So we have our 45 core topics, but we can always add more in if we have clients who have a really specific need. Um, and in particular, the kind of B2B focused areas are really responding well to that. Excellent. Um, I have to apologise for the listeners, there's, there's drinks being served here in the hive and it's getting rather loud um, but at, at, at the moment I'm right in saying this is just being uh, just monitoring in, in English, are you going to be rolling this out in other languages and also when you do uh, or if you do and, and when you do how, how is that going to sort of work globally with clients that, that are obviously trading in, in different uh, territories, how are you going to combine those results? Sure. So the the first stage of this is us looking uh, in global English. Um, a lot of the conversation is in English, even when people um, exist in different countries, just because it's a, a kind of universal connector. Um, so that's the first stage. But because we now have a, a kind of model around what Sherlock plus represents we can give it to our other offices and they can then take that on board and create a local language version um, which is the next stage that we'll be working on the next couple of months okay but uh, ben what surprised you the most out of uh, as a result of using sherlock i think um i think just how strange some conversations can be on social uh, if you think about, you know, you, you almost expect beauty influencers to talk about beauty. But what's really interesting is when you actually start to realize that there are other themes that they all commonly talk about and share. Um, and also just identifying and finding people that you never thought would really be connected to our VIP start, start point. Um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the examples of finding uh, bloggers who actually have relatively low social followings but when they blog about it they get the engagement of the right people so I mean it's it's not surprising it's what we were were hoping to find but actually it's not about you know the person with the biggest followers or the the biggest number uh, you know reach or retweets it's more about getting the right people to influence the right topics the right conversations at the right time understanding that and then doing something with it so then taking action and planning for you know client campaigns based on a position of knowledge um, and it's also just quite quite extraordinary the amount of um, setup and work that's gone into it and actually seeing it come together has been a uh, been yeah really good fun excellent well best of luck with it uh, appreciate you uh, giving up some time at the launch here so uh, Vicky Chowney and Ben Hackett thanks for joining the show uh, that about wraps up uh, the second podcast from Can Lions uh, don't forget you can listen to all the previous shows of this series by subscribing to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or uh, simply searching for the C-Suite podcast um, please if you can give us a show uh, give the show a positive rating and a review when you're there as that always helps us up the charts and gets us more listeners and as ever if you want to get in touch with me you can find 
me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith or drop me a line using the contact form at csweetpodcast.com. I'm back tomorrow with Karen Strauss of Ketchum talking age agnostic content. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.